How's it going, guys? My name is Kyle Kuyat, and welcome to episode number two of the Blueprint Podcast. Today, we interview the founder of Silverbrook Securities, Billy Hopkins, and we talk about a question that's on a lot of advisors' minds, which is, how do I go from being a financial professional to a business owner? And we talk about the mindset shift, some key areas that you need to have before you make that change, as well as lay down the foundation and some building blocks that you can use to make this transition for yourself and for your business. So without any further ado, let's get right into today's episode. You're listening to The Blueprint Podcast. Blueprints for the future. You got the blueprints? The blueprints. Designed to give financial professionals the roadmap to where they want to take themselves and their business. I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Our mission is to arm you with knowledge from thought leaders and other professionals who've mastered their craft so you can build a better practice. So listen now, act after, and enjoy the show. And welcome back to the Blueprint Podcast. Today is episode number two. If this is your first time listening, the Blueprint Podcast is designed specifically to help give advisors the roadmap to where they want to take themselves and their business. And we help them do that by bringing on thought leaders, sharing some of our own experience in interviewing hundreds of advisors along the way. So today I am joined by my co-host, Billy Hopkins. Billy. Welcome. Thank you very much, Kyle. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, today we are excited for our episode, and today we're going to specifically be talking about how to transition from just being a financial professional to a business owner, and more specifically, how do you go from, for example, being John Smith to Smith Financial Services, and who better to talk about this than somebody who's done this themselves over the years? Billy, let's uh, let's just get on right into it. What are what are some of the key things to think about? To start off with, you know, if I'm a sole practitioner today and I obviously I want to build a team, I want to build a business, how do I even get started in that process? What do I start to think about first? You know, one of the things that I have always done personally, you know, read lots of books on building a company, whether it was Starbucks, whether it was some of those those that that kind of came out of nowhere and what did they do? How did they get there? So whether it was, you know, the the good to great books that were out there to you know, spending time talking to elite practices. I've always really kind of wanted to peel back the layers and understand, excuse me, how, how they get there. Where did they come from? You know, what was their story? And, and what was the, the pivotal moment that they used to, uh, uh, to get, really get to where they were? And, and I think one of those was when the, when the owner of that decided that, you know, I want to build something bigger than where I'm at. So it's always kind of goes back to a couple of things, which is what is your vision to it and where you want to go? And, and then really, what is the understanding you have of your unique ability? So, Kyle, I, I don't know if there's a, you know, one thing that starts it other than the decision that, um, you know, I really want to try to build something that is bigger than just me, the practitioner. It's when the it's when the owner of that business decides that I want to scale bigger than what I can do personally. Because at the end of the day, we're starting out, we're, you know, for me, it was, I was the chief cook and bottle washer, you know, the business, <laughs> you know, you always kind of say you never want to do anything that you haven't done yourself, whether that's cleaning your office all the way up to advanced marketing. But, you know, you have to, 
you have to kind of recognize that you have a unique ability and that you really have to think bigger than what you are you can do personally as a practitioner you you can only work with so many clients right and it starts with that it does yeah it it starts with your mindset as far as getting yourself out of that situation because you know we talked to a lot of advisors or we've seen many practices over the years where it it is a one-man show or a two-man show and it, it they just get bombarded by their business and a lot of times whenever they started in the business they were saying yes to clients and and really not having many constraints on the relationship that they have with clients or with the relationship that they have with their own business and it gets to a certain point as they continue to grow and you know get comfortable in their situation where now their business sort of runs them versus them running their business and it's their day-to-day and it's almost like they can't get out of that trap uh more or less mentally uh than anything else with the relationship that they've kind of constructed if you will uh, around that but taking it back for a sec you mentioned you want to have your hands almost on everything obviously when you're a sole practitioner you don't really have a choice in the matter you have to do everything yourself but if you were to start to figure out, hey, what are my gifts? What am I good at? In your mind and how you've done it, A, what is the process for identifying those in yourself? And B, what do you offload first whenever you start to who, not how? How do I do this? You go from, you know, who can help me with this? How do you start to divvy that up as far as workload and and task are concerned? Right. You know, those are all so many critical questions to think about. One of the thoughts I had is, it's I believe that the financial professional is as important as the family doctor. It is, we are as important in the you know long-term success of a client from generation to generation. So if you believe that, and then you also believe that, you know, a four or $500,000 business is a, is, a, is a small business, but it is the cash flow that comes from a 40 million to $50 million business. So those are, those are key critical points to think about that you, you know you're really touching the lives of a lot of people and so with that we, we discussed in our last podcast that advisors are now being asked to do more comprehensive things because clients don't want to deal with as many relationships they don't want to have their insurance guy and their tax guy and their investment guy and all the things like that so you they're really kind of coming to us with teams and it's the millionaire next door that wants to you know work with somebody that they believe has the scale and the knowledge to assist them so if we feel like we're a critical to their decision-making, and we know that they're wanting us to be more comprehensive, you've got to figure out what your unique ability is and what you do best, and then trying to build the pieces around it. Um, because at the end of the day, when, I, when a client feels that an advisor can't handle whatever the critical part of their life is, you know, because there's five or six things that are going to happen to an individual that cause them to really reassess where they're at. Could be retirement, could be state, it could be you know, divorce, it could be any number of things that are kind of out there. And if they ever feel like they can't look at that professional and say, man, that guy's got my back and he knows everything I'm doing and I'm ready for whatever comes my way, then they're going to go outside and they're going to start looking. So you you really have to kind of decide, you know, what you do best. You said something one time that, you know, if I'm really good at investments and maybe I'm not that great at planning part, well, go find a pair planner. If I'm better at the planning side, but I'm not great at the marketing side, well, maybe I have to go find that. So Kyle, what are the four or five things as we talk that are critical in the the financial service practice? There's really four or five key areas that, that we have, right? Working with existing clients and servicing those clients, annual reviews, communicating with them regularly, solutions for those clients, 
there's marketing your services and there's, uh, you know, maybe administration, you know, maybe I'm not really good at building the, uh, the admin side where I'm keeping track of all the paperwork and keeping track of, of everything, you know, office management, maybe I'm not that great at that, but I'm good at talking to clients, you know, cause there's always people that are good at what they do and they're not great at what you do, which is the visionary of the practice. And at the end of the day, people are buying us. The job of any business owner, I believe, is to, to set the North Star. You know, what is it that's that we need to be uh, working towards? What is What are the goals, short and long-term? You know, I think you've got to create goals, constantly reset goals, analyze those goals, and, you know, and really push yourself and your team to, to, to achieve those goals. So you really almost kind of have to set the North Star. Living in a, in a financial service world now, um, between regulatory requirements and even the amount of paperwork that we have, I mean, you're not gonna be able to do it all. And so as the owner of the business, you know, you really want to find the, the people or, that you can build around you and then also believe that it's not incumbent upon you to teach them everything. You know, they have a lot to teach you as the business owner. Listen, you know, bring them in. Trust that they can do the jobs, run with those jobs. Trust that they can absorb what you have to offer and then push along those lines to, again, it's going to be your vision. It's going to be the way you you see the you see the practice, the way that you see your company. You know, the first thing that I always say is is try to build your branding around your vision. <laughs> Where does that come from? It's probably um, your 10 best clients in the financial service area. But to me, uh, the critical thing is 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 kind of kind of making the leap of faith because you're looking at your revenue and you're looking at your profit and you're like, well, man, if I could just do this and I could just keep doing this, <laughs> I don't like letting go of that. It's really hard. It is super hard. But at the end of the day. If you can trust taking out of that leap of faith, letting go of certain those things, it frees you up to really do the things that you want and need to do. And that's when you make that critical jump. That's when you really make that leap into the next stratosphere, you know, from practitioner to company. And you have to have a plan, right? It's not, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, we we do financial planning for, uh, for a living yet. You know, we have to have a plan and we sometimes it seems that some advisors just shoot from the hip as far as their business is concerned. And uh, and that's obviously should not be the case. We do all this planning for clients, yet sometimes we neglect to do planning for ourselves and our practice. And if you were to take that same process that you deliver to clients every single day that obviously works, apply it to your business. I challenge people to to start to do that for themselves. And Hey, if you can build the perfect process, you know, let's say maybe it's certain things that you are good at, but you may not be great at, or you understand that, hey, I might be good at planning, but it may be more relevant or, or important for me to outsource that or offsource that to somebody whenever I onboard them, or am I getting help from an outside firm on either marketing or whatever it may be that isn't your specific, you know, maybe top three to five things that you should be doing only on a daily basis. And it's really challenging yourself to either help build that process and refine it or go find people that can help you build that process and refine it in your business. But it does take a leap of faith and it does, it's a big mindset shift once you're coming out of it. You talked about money, for example, and let, let, let's kind of talk about the elephant in the room for a second. Obviously, if I'm a sole practitioner, my business is my main source of income, more likely than not, if not my only source of income. So how do you then, from a mindset standpoint, really more importantly, and also from a business standpoint, start to 
shift your thinking and, and really your lifestyle from saying, all right, well, if I'm making $250,000 a year, for example, out of my business, I know I need to hire people and, and maybe not just people, but systems, et cetera, things to make this actually run like a business rather than just me. How do you, uh, how do you take that step when you're from your experience or just from what you've seen from other advisors, how do you stop using it as a piggy bank and, and really more like a business account? Uh, whenever you're you're starting to make that shift? Well, I think that is very good start to the discussion. We work with independent financial professionals. So that means 1099 as opposed to W-2. So mm-hmm. the first thing that that individual has to recognize is I'm going to have to go get QuickBooks. I'm actually going to have to start building out a budget and understand where my finances come from. You know, the good thing is we are in a world now where a lot of our revenue is residual. Very rare that we come across a professional now that's not living on some sort of residual base right. Uh, right. in their revenue. So that makes it a lot easier because it's not, you're not hand to mouth, you're not having to deal with that every day. But from that, you've got to set a budget to where, you know, you run it like a, like a corporation would, you know, profits and losses, look at where, when you get paid, how you get paid, and then really start kind of building it out from there. We've listened and worked with consultants and had advisors that work with consultants. And that's a big part of it is most marketing strategies don't work because advisors can't stay in the game long enough. Most you know, reps can't um, get out from under the, the, the mindset of just you know living day to day. So they have to really kind of take it through. And I would probably spend six months if I was a financial professional looking at the opportunity to expand and what I, what do I need to do? I would kind of talk to my tax preparer. I'd talk to a bunch of people, build my, my game plan, but then also understand that there is a, a reason that you need to do this. And the reason that you need to do this is you, you, will, you will grow the minute <laughs> you make those decisions. It's like, it's like a weight being lifted off your shoulder. Once you kind of make those decisions, find the right people, then it frees you up to do the things that you want to do, which is either be rainmaker, or talk to clients or whatever that is. So talk to your tax, start from the beginning, talk to your tax preparer, figure out where you got to go, sit down with your family and and uh, and then start building it out. You are going to have to to recognize that there's there, there's more, probably set up a, a retirement plan, set, set some things like that. You, there's some things you got to do. Um, but once you can kind of kind of get your brain wrapped around that, it's going to be the best decision you ever made. Yeah, and I would I would challenge advisors to you know as far as their homework is concerned, if, if there is a John Smith or somebody out there listening that wants to turn it into a a business, I would challenge them to look at their situation, their whole picture, just like you look at a, a client's statements and information in their situation. Look at your business, right, Billy? Now you you and I have talked about this many times, advisors over the years purchase certain things that maybe just go on the shelf and collect dust. So there may be to, actually more opportunities. <laughs> there might be more opportunities out there though for something that you're not using or hey, maybe there's a new technology or new person or new way of doing business that you have to be open-minded to, especially when you're making this shift that may fit your new business model better if you're trying to grow, right? If there's a if there's an onboarding system that, hey, maybe rather than hiring two admins, I only need one admin, but I'm going to pay fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a year for this particular system that's going to really do the work of of a whole individual. And there's opportunities like that out there now, right? So it's one thing to make the leap and have the mindset to do so, but I would challenge them to go back and look at what they already have, what they're already using, and really look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, is this something that is going to take me to the next level? If not, drop it. 
right? Whether it's a process, whether it's a, uh, well, you know, yes, a system, uh, whatever that is. The first consultant that many of our advisors looked at, I mean, and that was the thing, work towards a residual type business where you're, you're not living day-to-day -day transactions. I mean, let's think about it. COVID hit, nobody was leaving their house. If you were transaction-based, that was tough. So we've had a lot of advisors that have said, you know, thank goodness I was not in that situation. Thank goodness that we had built a residual business. So our, our, our practices are better prepared. But then, you know, we are a group of, of individuals that are really good at sales or they're entrepreneurs. And so sometimes that person isn't a, a manager of people and they're better. They just feel better at like, look, I'll just, I'll just roll my sleeves up and I'll just get that done. I'll just take care of that. I don't like to try to manage people. So I think you have to give in a little bit and recognize that there's some really good people that you can find that can do the, do certain things that are hard for us, record retention, marketing, whatever that, that thing is. Marketing is probably the hardest. But then the other side of that is I look at the statistics and, and, and I always a, a believer in the statistics and what I, what I read and what I hear is you know, that the number of advisors is contracting, it's not expanding, and there's a lot of younger people that want to get into the industry. So being a, a mentor or even even looking out there to find those people because they 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 want to be CFPs, they want to plan. I think you I think there's a better chance to bring in some young talent to help a practice now. If you're an advice-based practice and you're wanting to pivot to more planning, well then finding people to do that is out there. But at the end of the day, if the statistics that I read, if the industry is contracting, there's a lot of investors that are going to be looking for advisors. I still kind of look at the millionaire next door. They're going to be out there looking for advisors. And at the end of the day, there's going to be fewer advisors to deal with. And so I believe they're going to be looking for teams. I think they're going to be looking for people that can handle their affairs. And so I almost think it's really necessary where it used to be a luxury to run it like a business now i think it's really necessary it is becoming necessary and be if you want to be yeah, competitive it is and I, I would challenge advisors i mean mainly the excuses are going to be i don't have time i don't have money or i'm too busy right and in some way shape or form those are typically the excuses that we'll hear as far as why somebody isn't doing anything that they should be doing let alone in in the business world but you know and going back what you said billy about younger people you know me being in that under 30 category um, and less than 5% of CFPs under 30, uh, there really is not a lot of us, but it <laughs> shameless plug, I guess, if you will, but, uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be a CFP. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you're hiring a pair planner out of the gate, if you're, if planning is one of your gifts, or if that's one of the things that you're good at, even if it isn't, you don't have to go out and spend a hundred thousand or even near that number to start off somebody in the pair playing role. You can help educate that person or find somebody from a character standpoint that's young, that's hungry, that's willing to grow. And if you can paint the vision, just like we talked about earlier, if you can paint the vision for, hey, look at if you come in here in a planning capacity and you want to be an advisor or you want to be part of this team in the future, here's what we're doing, here's what we're building, and I'd love for you to be a part of the team. But that person isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg as far as money's concerned. It may cost you some additional time on the front end. But guess what? All that time that you're investing in that person is an investment directly back into your business. So I would challenge people to kind of get out of their own head with that because I feel like that's one of the biggest things I hear from some advisors over the years when I've had that conversation about onboarding people or building a team. It doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be impossible. Um, you know, it's really a six to eight week thing. And obviously it's an ongoing process, but if you find the right person from a character standpoint, they're going to be able to do the work and figure it out for themselves. And as you mentioned earlier, Billy, they're probably going to have some ideas that 
that you as an advisor never even thought about yourself. So I, I, it doesn't have to be expensive. It, it doesn't have to be impossible. There's plenty of people out there doing it. But taking the leap uh, really, I think, starts in your own mind. It's between uh, it's between your two ears with where where that leap goes. But we're just giving you some really actionable items, if you will, or and really key things to think about whenever you do make that transition. So last question, Billy, I'll, I'll, we'll wrap it up with this in, in your sort of final wrap up on this. Let's say you were in line getting a coffee. Right. And there was an advisor that you ever heard talking behind you about, hey, I'm, I'm John Smith and I'm trying to take my me being my solo practice to uh, to a business. If you had 30 seconds to just say, hey, here's my advice. How would you summarize that? What would you say? Well, my first thing I would say is if, if you're really serious about it, start today and don't try to do it all yourself. <laughs> There's only so many hours a day. You're never going to really be able to grow and get out of your the space you're in or the lane you're in until you, until you really dig deep and start really looking at it. And I would start today. I would, if, if, that's, if that's your thought, sit down and start with a plan, you know, start uh, talking to others that may have done it, but more importantly, recognize that uh, I think this business has tremendous upside. I think that the, the financial advisor is as important as the family doctor and all those other things. So you've got to just look at this thing for what it is. And it's not a, a little practice. It can be a great business. Again, a $400,000 revenue firm is the byproduct of a 40 to $50 million business. So could that business be $100 million if you were to put the right pieces into place? And I think the answer to that is absolutely. Sure, could. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, draw it right, right, you know, on the left side of the page, you know, there are pros and cons. You know, go do, do some of those kind of <laughs> quirky things that everybody talks about. But more importantly, um, you know, really just, just decide that that's what you want to do and start. And, and then find your unique ability. What is it you're best at? And then just start building your team around what you are best at. The things that, that get in the way, the noise in your office. Find those things that help write your long-term goals and go for it. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I think that's good advice. I would say, A, be honest with yourself about really wanting to do it, right? There's a plenty of people that talk about it, but doing it versus talking about it, obviously, is, are two completely well, separate put things. Put it in bite-sized pieces. Yeah, Kyle, put right. it in bite-sized pieces. You, you don't get there tomorrow. You know, you're not going to get there if you've got a five-year plan. The things that you can tackle, the things that you can do, put them in bite-sized actionable pieces and then uh, really start with uh, with those those ideas. Yeah, simply just have to reverse engineer it just as you do with financial planning. And again, it's a skill set that a lot of advisors already have. It's just, hey, take it from financial planning and apply it to your own, to your own business life, right? It's, hey, this is where we want to be in five years. How do we get there? And what do we have to do today in order to start that process? And and break it down into very small tasks because it can feel overwhelming. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is in that thought, I, hey, I want to do this, but I don't know where to start or where to begin. And it becomes overwhelming in their head. And there's all there's obviously a hundred different routes they can go. So they just end up really doing nothing a lot of times. So yeah, it, it does start with, with some action and, and writing it down. And obviously, if you're somebody listening to this podcast, you're in the right place. So you have a lot of uh, other resources from either people that have done it uh, or people that are doing it in some way, shape or form to learn from that you can take and apply in your own situation. So Billy, I think it was a great conversation today. I hope this helped a lot of you that are listening and uh, Billy, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. This was a lot of fun. We look hey. forward to uh, seeing you guys on the next episode. Oh, Kyle, thank you very much. This is, this is the uh, best part of the industry and the best part of, of building a, a company is, is interacting with others, learn from others and, and really just kind of trying to understand what's out there, what, what others have done and what, 
what you can do and, and just understand that, again, the financial service business is as good as, as any is any business with an unlimited upside. And so if you can figure that out, uh, sky's the limit. So thanks for your time today. And I really enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And if you guys want to learn more information about uh, the podcast, obviously subscribe to the show, continue to uh, to listen. We greatly appreciate it. Any feedback would be more than welcome as well. Feel free to leave that on a review, either on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn a little bit more about our firm and what we're doing as far as these things are concerned or how we can help you specifically as a financial professional, feel free to check out joinsilveropsecurities.com. We're always open to having a conversation. Securities Registered Investment Advisory Services offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.